I, I want to build on a message that I talked about two weeks ago. Uh, you guys remember I shared a message called Get Out of the Boat. We talked about Peter walking on water. How many of you guys enjoyed that message? If you weren't here, it's probably one of my favorite, I believe one of the most impactful messages I've ever shared to date. Go back, watch it on the YouTube. Go back, listen to it on the podcast at Anchor Ben TX. I'm going to build on that story today. I'm going to go to Mark chapter 6, verse 47. Mark chapter 6, verse 47. Now, this is, again, the story of Peter walking on the water. Uh, this story is found in the New Testament. If you're new to Christianity, there's an Old Testament, New Testament. Bible's split by those two. A New Testament is really the, 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 the church, the, the beginning of the church. It's when Jesus steps on the scene. Um, and this story is found in three out of the four Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, the Gospels are very interesting. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tend to tell a lot of the same stories more than once. Like Matthew will share the story, Mark shares the story, Luke shares the story. And the thing that I love about getting the picture of all three is that every one of them has a different emphasis. So they all experience the same moments, but they're going to share some, some kind of an insight. They're going to share a truth. They're, they're going to share some details that the other writer doesn't share. And then when you put the whole picture together, you get a complete picture of what God is doing. Someone say, well, why would you do that? Well, because God wants you to see the full picture. It'd be like this pack of gum. Um, so anybody chew gum? My wife is like a gumaholic. So extra, anybody like extra? Nobody? You do, Nico? I'll throw you this when I'm done because my illustration's done. So if we're all looking at this package, every one of you could describe the part or the facet that you're looking at. So you guys would actually say the marketing facet. So you can't see it right now very clearly because you're so far away. Um, but it's got the word extra. It's got a mint leaf. It says spearmint. And it tells you how many pieces. But now for me back here, I actually see the nutritional facts. So I could tell you what's actually in it. It's no fat grams. Come on, somebody. It's got uh, no sugar. It's got two carbs. But we're still looking at the same thing. We just have a different view, a different facet. And so when you look at all of it, it tells us completely what this thing actually is and can give a complete um, picture of it. You with me? That's what the Gospels do. It's like this story told from different perspectives that give us a unique view of that situation. And so Matthew, when we read it two weeks ago, was really about Peter uh, responding to Jesus, getting out of the boat. It's the faith walk. And though we walk on the water, sometimes we sink, but Jesus is always there. He's the one that calms the storm. You with me? It's amazing. Mark shows us something a little bit different. Uh, he actually never even talks about Peter walking on the water. So if you read this passage and you just read it in, in, in the Gospel of Mark, you would actually miss that this is the same story that we read in Matthew of Peter walking on the water. So he's got a different perspective. He's got a different thought and a different viewpoint that he wants us to look at so that we can glean some truths that will help us in our life. Now, the passage is just after Jesus fed the 5,000. Wasn't just 5,000, it was actually 15 to 20 because the Bible says 5,000 men. So the disciples are tired, they're exhausted, they've worked hard. How many know ministry is hard? Helping people is tough. 
And so when they are sent to cross the lake, which Jesus sends them across the lake, it's about 3 a.m. when Jesus finds them out on the water. So these guys are exhausted. Um, they're heading out. They're caught up in a storm. Jesus stayed behind. He's tired. But he's going to go and pray and recharge by connecting with God. And so he sends his disciples away. We pick it up in verse 45. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted the disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethesda. While he sent the people home, then after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hill himself to pray. Jesus knew where to recharge. I think as Christians, we ought to know that recreation is great, playing and having fun is great, but the place to get recharged is always in the presence of God. You can rest and not still be rested. And so Jesus knew, I got to rest. I got to go to the place to be recharged. And it says in verse 47, late that night, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on the land. He saw, everybody say saw. So he saw that they were in serious trouble. So this is a pretty massive event. The wind is blowing, the waves are crashing, and it says they were rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. Anybody ever felt like you were rowing hard and struggling? Sometimes life can have that effect on us that we're trying to go in the right directions, but it seems the direction, but it seems like everything is fighting against us. There are two observations I want you to see before I move on to the other passage or verses. First one is obedience can actually lead you into a storm. I think it's really important that you understand that Jesus told his disciples, look, I want you to go into the lake and cross the lake. He put them in the boat and sent them towards the other side. Now, he didn't cause the storm, but his instructions led him to a place where they encountered a storm. And so you can, as a believer, if you don't know any better, find yourself in a storm and question whether or not you were doing what God told you to do. Why? Because we haven't been taught that obedience can actually lead you into a storm. There's not anything wrong with you. You know, I, I, you can imagine, well, what did I do wrong? Maybe I missed God. Well, maybe you didn't miss God and you're right where God wants you. You got to know that obedience can lead you into a storm. The second thing you need to know is God cares about your struggles. Jesus was actually standing on the side. He was in a time where he was to be rested. He was to be refreshed. He was praying. And the, and the Bible says he saw their distress, that they were in serious danger. And because they were in serious danger, here's what I love about Jesus. He actually defies natural law. He actually walks on the water. So he didn't wait for a boat. He didn't wait for a ride. He didn't wait for someone else. He didn't wait until the moment or the next morning. He actually, in that moment, says, I love them so much. I'm going to defy natural law, and I'm going to get close to my disciples. You got to know God loves you. He's, gonna, he's never left you. In fact, that's what Hebrews 13, 5 says. God has said, I will never leave you. I've never let you alone. And so you know as you're walking through the storm, look, this is the pattern of God. This is Jesus, that God never leaves me alone. Now, verse 48, it says, about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them walking on the water. He intended to go past them. 
But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. Verse 50 says, they were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Verse 51, then he climbed into the boat. This is where, if you're comparing to Peter's story, we don't even see Peter. This, he picks it up in the facet of when Jesus actually gets into the boat, the wind stops. They were totally amazed. Now, one translation actually says overwhelmed. I think that's a better word, overwhelmed, because amazed is like, wow, overwhelmed is I almost died. Come on. How many have ever been thankful for what God did, but you realize how bad it really was? A little overwhelmed in the moment. You ever been in a wreck and you were overwhelmed that God showed up and saved you? You could have died, but you didn't. You know, and so I think that moment, that word overwhelmed is a better moment. Anybody ever been overwhelmed in a storm? You're like, man, I, I, have you ever said these words? I don't know if I can make it. I'm not sure I'm going to survive. I don't know if I can even get up out of bed. I mean, those are, that's the overwhelmingness of what I feel and sense in this moment. It says, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracles of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. Title the message today, if I were to title it, would be the struggle is real. Struggle is real. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word, the reading of your word. Lord, I thank you for illuminating in our hearts and our lives. Open our minds, open our hearts. Let us receive your word. Let it fall on good soil. I pray for clarity of thought, clarity of words, and the power and demonstration of you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. <clears throat> so what happens in this story is not a surprise, you, especially those who were here a couple of weeks ago. We know what happens. Jesus saves his disciples from the storm. Um, and that's really why I began to study this passage. I have really found myself feeling the pain of those of you that have done what God has asked and yet it seems like you've walked into a storm. You know, I'm, I'm sharing stories every week of People obeying God and God, I mean, my God, where's Josh? I don't know if he's in this, but my God, he got a brand new house, you know? And it's like, good Lord, thank you, Jesus. And I got two more stories of people where God has done a miracle in houses. And, and then I just shared this story, and I didn't even share another story with Tar. She got a raise and a promotion and a bonus when their company said they were downsizing and nobody was going to get raises and nobody was going to get bonuses. Yeah, but they didn't know that God was on her behalf setting it up, right? And so I got all these stories, and I know that the, the reason I share them is because it builds your faith. We got to brag on God. We got to talk about what God is doing. We got to glorify the fact that He is recession proof, He is coronavirus proof. He doesn't care about the stock market. Like, He set it all up. He is God. But I also empathize with the people that I've heard stories of, you know, uh, someone who, who gave in the offering and got scammed out of, out of, out of a car. You know, God, I don't understand. I thought, and, and so it's like, ah. Oh. Or, or someone that said, look, I don't even know if we're going to go to small group anymore because we're struggling in our marriage. We've been serving on the dream team. We've been coming to church, and our marriage is worse now than it's ever been. I don't even know if we're coming back to small group. Right. Someone said, listen, you know, I've been coming to church. You said give it 52 weeks. That's my challenge to anybody. Listen, just give me 52 weeks. Come for 52 weeks. And look, you're here. Spring break weekend. You are here in the house of God. Like 52 weeks of running the play. 
What's running the plate? Come to church. Go to Next Steps. Why? Because Next Steps is how you uncover your God-given design and begin to uncover your purpose. Well, then you don't stop there. Then you join a team. Why? Because you were made to make a difference. You go to small groups. Why? Because that's where you find healing when you can take off the mask and be open and real and authentic. And there are people that say, look, I've been running the play. I've been doing what you said, but my kids are getting worse, not better. My finances are getting worse, not better. My marriage is worse, not better. And so I recognize that the enemy is attacking and we understand that all of his schemes, none of them are new. And that God preserves us in the midst of the storm. And so this whole passage, this whole Sunday was built for those of you that are walking in a storm right now. And it's also for those of you that are about to walk in a storm. Like we all are going to experience them. And so really that's 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 the heartbeat of what I came back to this passage for because the struggle is real. Like we can't just say all the good and not acknowledge the bad. Like we can't just build faith and still not talk about, hey, what do I do when it gets tough? And, and so I, I found myself reading this story and I went to all the different versions of the gospel and I'm like, God, there's gotta be something in here about storms and how we survive. Because see, my thought is I, I need God's word on this situation. You don't need my opinion. You need God's word on this situation. Like my opinion's not gonna help you, but if we grab some truth, then we can actually get some victory. So as I read this story, there was, there was a phrase that caught my attention. It probably caught yours this morning. So I'd never seen it until now, and, and I've, I've read this passage. I can't even tell you how many times. But it was the phrase that their hearts were too hard. And I thought, that's baffling to me. I mean, that, that just blew my mind. I mean, I, when I saw it, I almost didn't even... Believe it, because I wouldn't have thought that would even be possible. Like, look, the Pharisees, I get it. The Sadducees, I get it. The crowd, I get it. Those who are hurt or desperate or hungry, I get it. But you're telling me the disciples in this passage, it says that their hearts were too hard. Now, these are the same disciples that knew Jesus. Like, he was doing life with these guys. These are the same disciples that he invited into the miracles of what he did in his ministry. So not only was it feeding the 5,000, but in that passage, it said he did miracles. Just even previously, the disciples, can you imagine just being there, a part of it, watching, like moving people, you know, people that are lame, helping the lame man up after Jesus has healed him. Grabbing the stuff. So, so these guys have actually seen and been a part of these demonstrated miracles of Jesus. And here's the other thing. They're obeying God. Because why? How do I know? Because they got in the boat and went to the other side. Like they did. Like, Can you imagine it's 3 o'clock in the morning? I don't want to. I am tired. Why don't you let me just sit here and sleep it off? No, he said, I know you're tired. I know you're probably exhausted. But I want you to go across that lake now. And they obeyed Jesus. So what that tells me is that you can know God. You can be a part of his miracles and still have a hardened heart. Wow. wow. That's not the sinner. It's not the religious, but that's the disciple. I don't know about you, but that is an awe moment. That's like a, oh my God. 
that's a revelation that, God, you mean I could be in the middle of this miracle that you're doing in this church? Lord, the, the miracle of buying this building, the miracle of seeing over 3,000 people give their life to Jesus, the miracle of marriages being healed, the miracle of families being restored, the miracle of physical healings in bodies, the miracle of the tangible presence of God. You mean I can be a part of it? I can be in the middle of it? I can even love you, God? I can serve you? I can even be serving on the dream team? I can be going to small groups? I can go to next steps? I can be in the church? And yet sitting here with a hardened heart. See, I wasn't studying this passage to learn about me. I was studying this passage to learn about what God would do for me. And what I realized was what God does for me has everything to do with what he's doing in me. Here's what I discovered, that storms reveal the condition of our hearts. God didn't send them the storm to them. He just sent them on the way. The storm came. See, he'll use the storm. He didn't, he didn't make bad things happen to you, but I promise you, he is so powerful. He is so great. He is so awesome. He is so amazing. He will allow that storm to expose the things that we didn't even know were right there. That it's in that struggle, it's in that trial, it's in that storm that he's going to help us to see what we can't even see ourselves. Now, that word hardened in the Greek, I'm not going to really try, well, I'll try to say it as something like that. That's my Greek for you. I can read it better than I can say it. It's kind of like my Spanglish. It's P-O-R-O-O. And let me tell you what hardened means, the original, what this context, when it says their hearts were hardened, it means to cover with a thick skin. It means to harden by covering with a callus. How many have ever had calluses on your hands? Usually it's, it's like you've been around doing something. You know, I used to have calluses for working out, but since December, there has been no real solid working out, so my hands are looking soft like a baby. <laughs> How many of you got hands like me? Come on, somebody. But the calluses were lifting weights. There was pressure. There was like I'm, I'm around it, so I got these calluses. Well, well, that's what this hardened means. There's a callousness on their heart. Here's, here's, it goes even deeper. To become dull and to lose the power of understanding. The power of understanding. So a hardened heart means that I no longer have the ability to understand what God is really doing in this moment. And so here's what my goal is this morning is that how do I keep us, how do I keep me from having a hardened heart like the disciples? If it could happen to them, how many know it can happen to me? So I thought there were, there were three things that, that caused a hardened heart. Uh, and the first one is this, misguided expectations. The disciples didn't see things the way God saw them. They had different expectations of what Jesus was on earth to do. See, if you read previously, they actually thought Jesus was there to overthrow the Roman Empire. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah, but he's coming to establish an earthly kingdom. And what that meant to them and their expectation was, Jesus is going to make my life easier. Jesus is going to make my life better. Jesus is going to actually make my life richer. We're going to get rid of this Roman oppression. Jesus is going to come in, and I am one of his 
verse 12, so I will have position and power and influence and life is going to be really good for me. Their expectation was that Jesus was coming to build something for them on that earth. Challenges, we know that's not at all the plan of God. He sent Jesus not to build an earthly kingdom, but a heavenly kingdom to establish an eternal kingdom that would transform the hearts of men, not always the lives of men. So we say, God, I want it easy. He's like, listen, I'm going to give you eternity in heaven, salvation, but you're going to face persecution. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be trials. It may not always be easy, but you got eternity to look towards. That's the beauty of our Christian faith. I don't mind walking through this because I've got that. And so for them, they begin to draw conclusions in what they're experiencing based on a belief that they have, the expectations of what they have, and it's misguided. And because of that, the Bible says their hearts were dull. They didn't have the understanding of the moment, the understanding of the miracle, and so they couldn't see all that God was doing. Their hearts were Hardened. Psychologists call this confirmation bias. So what does that mean? That means once you have formed an opinion or a view or expectations, what happens is that you begin to embrace the information that confirms what it is that you believe while ignoring and rejecting the truth. So in other words, you don't perceive circumstances objectively. You see them through the filter of the bias that you already believe. I mean, we experience this all the time, right? I, I, had, I had a confirmation bias actually happened yesterday and I'll tell you about it. Somebody sent me a text, and, and typically when I get a text from this person, it's usually critical. Anybody got that person? So I, nobody? <laughs> nobody? So it's just, it's like, you always kind of, you get it, and I just, I got a text, and I just immediately, I was in one of those moments, your pastor failed, I did not follow 1 Corinthians 13, I just, I just fired right back, and then, uh, how many ever gone back to read the text that you read that you're like, well, let me just go back and read it again. Anybody ever read it? And then you go back, you're like, oh, that ain't at all what they said. <laughs> See, I, I, I had this perspective. And you go back, and I literally went back, and I'm like, they didn't say this. All the things that I read about, didn't say this, didn't say this, didn't say this. Didn't, my God, I got the whole text wrong. Why? Because I saw it through a perspective of what I believe to be true. And when I went back and was objective, I could repent, which is what your pastor did. I sent a text and just said, listen, I'm so sorry. It's been a hard day. Uh, please forgive me. Come on. How many know sometimes we got to repent because we get it wrong? Well, that's confirmation bias. So, so here's what we see as Christians. You can have a confirmation bias against God. You can say, listen, God, I, I think you're great. I think you're amazing, but I also think you're always out to get me. So when the storm comes, it confirms the belief, well, see, I knew you didn't like me. I know you love pastor, but you don't really like me. You've always been out to get me. In fact, when I was a kid, you were out to get me. When I was a teenager, you were out to get me. When I was an adult, see, this just confirms what I already knew. See, you, you may have a bias towards God. God, I, I never, I, I don't think you love me. 
See, I, I, I mean, pastor says you do, and I, I want to believe it. But listen, I'm in the middle of the storm. So see, I knew you didn't love me. I knew you didn't care about me. I knew it wasn't like I really wasn't what the Bible says. And so you begin to believe a bias that is not a biblical mandate or viewpoint or perspective. And you allow that bias to begin to interpret the situation when it's not reality. Maybe you have a bias that says, I'm not good enough. Never been good enough. My parents never thought I was good enough. And so God, when I'm in this storm, listen, I knew it. I knew I wasn't good enough. I knew, see, if I'd have been better, I wouldn't be going through this storm. You know, I, I knew I wasn't worthy enough. I didn't, and I used to have that bias too, right? I mean, I grew up in a, kind of a religious charismatic thing where if, if you want God to move, you better do right. You better be right. You better not make mistakes. And what I've learned is thank God for his grace, that his love for me is covered by the grace that Jesus purchased on the cross of Calvary. And I've learned, listen, I don't let my mistakes knock me off. I make a mistake, and it's like, well, I mean, God, my thing is I just repent. I am so sorry. Forgive me. But I, I don't even get up. I mean, Phyllis and I can get in a fight before the service. It doesn't affect me in the way of, oh, I don't feel good enough. It affects me in the way of, hey, I'm sorry. I need to repent. Come on, somebody. But God still loves me just the same. I don't have to perform to have good things happen. Good things happen because God loves me. And when bad things happen, it's because bad things happen. Yeah. It's a storm that God will use, but God's not making that storm happen because I screwed up or didn't, didn't perform for him. It's just a storm. Yeah. I think another thing you got to consider with this confirmation bias is that if you were raised up in church, there is a bias towards the American gospel. So when I say the American gospel, it's a gospel that is centered about around you. Like Jesus came to save you. It's, it's this whole, and he did, but he saved you on purpose for a purpose. It's to build his kingdom. Like, like that's great, but it's not just about you. It was about you, but, but now we got to make it all about him. See, see, when you're lost, he's not at the center of your world. But when I'm saved, Jesus is the center. It's no longer about me. It's all about him. It's always been about him. And now I recognize it's all about him. Because we begin to believe this lie and, oh, you came to give me hope and joy and peace, and he does. But if you really read the context of the scripture, he gives us peace that passes understanding. Why would he say that? Because in the middle of your storm, you can say, God, I have peace. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't, doesn't, people don't understand. But I understand why. Because it's not situational. It's based on him. You know, joy. Joy is not based on circumstances. It's, it's joy is based when I'm close to him. And so I can be walking through a terrible situation and still have joy because it's not based on me. Think about love. You know, the Bible, I love the context of love. He's, he says, love your enemy and love those who persecute you. I mean, no, it's easy to love people that like you. Try like, loving somebody that doesn't like you. Try loving that person who's hating on you on Instagram and Facebook and talking about you at, at, at the different places, at your job, at your work. That's where it gets tough. And the only way you can do it is when you really recognize the gospel's not about me. The gospel's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. And it's always going to be. And so it changes your bias. And then you recognize, hey, listen, it's okay. Walking through the storm, the American gospel says you never have any problems. I would totally disagree. 
I need to set you up in a way that you're mature enough that the problems don't knock you off track, that we get to heaven. Again, if all hell breaks loose, if I lose my life, if everything seems to go wrong, it's okay because I don't live for natural, earthly things. My eye is on eternity. I get the promise of salvation. I get the promise of heaven. I get the promise of eternity with Jesus. And that's what helps us live a life and walk through the storms without being knocked off. Otherwise, storms wreak havoc in your life because you're like, well, God, you don't love me. No, 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 no. Have the right perspective. Isaiah 55, 8 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So what we have to do is get God's thoughts. We have to get God's perspective. We have to get God's ways. And the only way I know how to tell you to do this is to read your Bible. And there's no other way. You have to you have to dive into the Word of God. You can't just wait on Sundays. You need to be reading your Bible on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, like every day. When? Every day. I love the Bible app. You know, I, I encourage everyone, you should be reading the one-year Bible. If you'll read the one-year Bible, in one year you'll have read the entire Bible. I can't tell you how many times I've read the Bible, and every year it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And what's happening is God is changing my perspective. He's helping me have the right expectations that's not based on an opinion. It's not based on religion. It's based on His Second thing that can cause our hearts to become hard or callous is offense. Offense. Everybody say offense. This is a battle that is fought in the mind. This is a battle that we fight in our thoughts. And if we're not careful, we can allow offense to cause us to have a hard heart and to miss what God is doing in our life, in this church, and in this region. Look at Matthew chapter 13. Uh, verse 54 through 58, Jesus is actually teaching in the synagogue in this passage. And so what we see here is that he is in his hometown. He is speaking to the religious. He's speaking to those that are around him and telling them uh, the truths of the word of God. And look at how they respond in verse 54. It says, they were amazed. How many know you can be amazed at what God is doing and still have a hard heart. You'd be amazed at what God is doing and still be offended. You could be amazed at what God's doing and still miss the moment. It says, where did this man get all his wisdom, these miraculous powers? They asked, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't these his brothers, James, Joseph, uh, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all of his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And look at what it says. And they took, everybody say that word. Say it louder. Offense at him. And then look at what ultimately happened in verse 58. It says, and he did not do many miracles there. So what do we see? Offense causes us to have a hard heart. Offense causes us to miss out on the miracles that God wants to do. He went to that place to heal blind eyes, to open up deaf ears. He went to that place to do the miraculous, to do what he does. And yet the devil 
put a seed of offense inside of their hearts that caused them to miss what Jesus wanted to do. And we as believers can have a relationship with God. We can be working the miracles that God is working and yet even obeying him and the seed of offense cause us to miss the moment that God's doing because now we are offended. Maybe it's God. Look, God, I, I, I didn't, I, I expected you to do something differently. God, I, I expected the outcome to be different. I expected the way you would do it would be different. God, I, I didn't realize it was going to be as hard as it actually is. So, so I did what you said, but I didn't realize I'd be straining at the rows, at, at the oars. I didn't realize I'd be pushing against the wind. I didn't realize I'd be pushing against the waves. I didn't think it would be this hard. And so you begin to be frustrated. And frustration's okay, but the problem with frustration, when left alone, now begins to be bitterness and offense. Like, God, I can't believe, how could you lead me into a storm? How could you tell me to go down that path when you knew what the result would be? I don't understand it. You said you'd never leave me, but it feels like you left me. When Jesus was on the side, I bet they thought he had abandoned them, but he was watching the entire time. Looks like I'm going to drown, God. Yeah, yeah, I gave in that miracle offering. I, I don't know. I'm drowning now. Started serving on the dream team. I ain't got no leisure time now. Started going to this small group deal. I gave up my sports. I gave up my recreation. But I don't see it getting any better. In fact, it's worse. Instead of getting healthier, I feel like a mess. And the reality is it's because you've never been authentic enough to take off the mask. And how many know when you got scabs, you got to pull the scab, scab off for the skin to heal properly. It's going to bleed a little bit, and we're uncomfortable with that, and we think it's a storm. And so instead of asking Jesus to help us through the storm, we run away and never let him bring the salvation to our life that he's always wanted to bring, the healing that he's always wanted to bring, the relationships that he's always wanted to bring. God allows you to not get some of the things that you want from people that you think you need. Because here's what I hear too. I, I, I hear people say, listen, Pastor, I'm not offended at God. I'm just offended at his people. Right? It's, it's not God, you know, but, but it's the small group leader. It's, it's not God, but it's my spouse. Come on, somebody. It, it's not God, but it's my, it's, it's my family. It's my sister. It's my brother. It's my friend. It's Sister Amazing and Brother Awesome. See, God is good, but it's these people that's the problem. And the challenge that I find in that is because we are expecting something from them God never intended for us to get from them. You don't need validation from people. You need validation from God. You don't need affirmation from people. You need affirmation from God. And even love. I don't need you to love me. I need the love of God. And it doesn't matter. There's going to be people that hate me. It's okay. I'm not moving off. How can I stay so centered in the storm? Because my love and affirmation, everything comes from God. And I refuse to get offended. God wants us to depend on him. And offense is very, very sneaky. Just think about it. If you're offended at the person in your small group, you won't go back to the place where God can heal you. If you're offended at your church, you will leave the very place that the soil is ripe for you to have a fruitful life and be all God's called you to be. Oh, I know you can go to another church, but that other church doesn't have in the soil what we have in the soil here. You see? So, so that offense moves you out. Can God 
Yeah. But you left the place. Why? You missed the miracle. Why? You missed the moment. Why? Because you were offended. Here's the third and last thing that will cause our hearts to be hardened is familiarity. I want to read you Mark 6, 51 through 52, but I'm going to read it to you in the Amplified Version. So I read it to you in the NLT version, which is one of my favorite versions. Um, but as I was studying, I love to look at all the different versions. I got like six different Bibles, and I love to pick up a Bible when I'm studying. You know, I, I thank God for the app, but there's something about picking it up, putting it in my hands. And, and so I got all my Bibles strode across my desk and just reading what I was reading the Amplified version. <clears throat> look at what it says. Verse 51 says, Then he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased, and they were completely overwhelmed. This is the version that said they're overwhelmed. But I think that's a better translation anyway, because I read that like when I get overwhelmed in storms. I get overwhelmed with life. I get overwhelmed in the moment. And look, it says, because. So there's a reason. It says, they had not understood the miracle of. Now, the Amplified's unique in the way that it will translate what it says but then the scholars put their thoughts for the translation. You know, they've studied the original text. And so they, the, the Amplified kind of puts it in these brackets. And so that's not actually in the Bible. These are their thoughts. This is the context of that verse, which is where I think it brings so much extra illumination and clarity. So they didn't understand the miracle of the loaves and how it revealed the power and deity of Jesus. So that Jesus had power. That he was actually all God. That in that moment, he could impact their life at whatever level he chose. It says, but in fact, their hearts were hardened. And then look at what it says. Being oblivious and indifferent to his amazing works. Just a couple of thoughts about this. See, the disciples, if you read just a couple of chapters earlier, they actually had been through a situation just like this where Jesus actually sent them across the lake, but he was in the boat with them. And it's such a fascinating story because as he sends them across the lake, that version and that story, it wasn't just waves and wind and really bad and it was about to sink because it was actually, the Bible says, a squall, which is a horrible, horrible storm in the Sea of Galilee. The, the way the wind goes across the sea and the level of, uh, the sea level of that place they have these amazingly destructive storms. And so here they find themselves in the storm. They're rowing and straining a lot like what, what happens here, which is where you ought to have, have you ever had deja vu? Like I've been here before. And, and this is what I've learned. If you don't conquer the giant at that level, you're going to go back around the mountain. And so they, it's, I felt like it's almost like Jesus said, look, you didn't get it the first time. Here's another chance. So I, they're kind of having deja vu. But in that situation, Jesus is asleep. Like that storm didn't even bother Jesus, and it's because he had the realization of who his daddy was. Look, my God, I know this, this storm's terrible, but my God is right here in the boat. He's with us. I'm not even concerned. I'm actually going to sleep in the middle of this storm. It's not going to cause me to get all upset. And the disciples are, Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? And he says, be still. Be still. 
So they have this deja vu, so that's one aspect of it. The other part is to see that Jesus was able to break bread and fish and distribute it to all the masses. He was the master of natural law. Like that's not even possible to see that he could, he could multiply something that is physically impossible. What would the waves be? What would the storm be? What would the, like, like, so in their mind, if they would have had the understanding that Jesus is more than enough, that as I walk through the storm, he sent me on an assignment. He's not going to let me drown. He's not going to let me sink. He is more than enough. His word is what sent me out into the sea. And the perspective then could be changed if your heart is not hardened. With a hard heart, you can't even see it. You're blind. I mean, I wonder how many of us have had miracles take place and we don't even give them a second thought. We don't even consider the miracle. Like, like I love that, 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 that I got that God story about the surplus of escrow taxes because how many people have had that happen? They thought, oh, well, that's just random. No, baby, that's God. Yeah. And you catalog it. And you write it down and you say, man, God, look, you did it then. You can do it now. God, you touched my body when I had heartburn. You can touch my body when I've got cancer. You touched my kids when they were five. You can touch them when they're 15. God, I know now they're 22 and they're running from you. But if you could do it when they were a teenager, you can do it now. And you begin to encourage yourself. God, I believe. God, I trust. God, I know. And you, you, you no longer allow yourself to be familiar. Look, those two words, oblivious and indifferent. Oblivious is unaware, unconcerned, a doesn't matter attitude. Indifferent means uninterested, apathetic. So think about this. His miracles were so common, they became apathetic. It didn't affect them. Can you imagine for us, we don't see miracles like that often. For us, we would, we would probably, we'd be the first ones there and the last ones to leave. What I read in this is they were almost like, okay, you've done this already, Jesus. Like, we're good. When is it time for us to go home? When is it time for us to go get some rest? Like, like let's have us some me time instead of being enthralled in the moment and say, my God, look, he is healing blind eyes. He is raising the dead. Deaf ears are opening up. Demon-possessed people are being set free. And the, 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 the amazement of the moment of every miracle has magic. It's powerful. It's like, wow, wow, wow. The wonder, the wonder. To them, they were dull. They were hardened. And because of that, they couldn't understand. And I thought about us as a church. I mean, think seven years to have what we have is a miracle. I, I don't know if you know this, you know, Phyllis and I do a lot of coaching with ARC and church planters all across the nation. We are in the top 5% of church plants in America. Like, in America. And I know sometimes you can look at some of the other churches like, well, what about, you're talking about three or four or five other, but, but, it, but it, what we have right here to see what God started with nothing to where we are today. Think about the 3,000 people that have said yes to Jesus. The fact that we're about to build, buy a multi-million dollar building, do multi-million dollars worth of construction, to move into a brand new place, to see the lives changed, the marriages healed, the, 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 the families restored, and to see all of these things in the middle of this. Think about the presence of God. Can't you 
imagine the Chinese church that is underground meeting with six or seven that wouldn't give their lives to be in an experience like we had today where the presence of God was in this place. People were worshiping. God's presence was here. The power of God in this place. And yet we can come here, kick off our shoes, sit back and just say, just feed me, pastor. Church as usual. And wonder why the storm doesn't cause us to leave the church. Oh, God's not faithful. God doesn't care. Familiarity. I wonder if we could just get the wonder back. You know, I come in, man, I don't know if it's because we started it. And I remember when I say we had nothing, we had I still drive on the Dream Center campus. I drove yesterday, just driving around the back, just saying, God, look at this. Look at what you've done. I remember building that $215,000 parking lot, which I'm like, good Lord, for a parking lot. <laughs> 104 spaces, I'm like, good Lord. You know, I remember when that church was pink and brick. And I was like, please, Lord Jesus. We had red carpet. I said, don't post on Insta nothing. Like, just please, let's, let's pray, but don't do social media. To now have a first class environment where we can have a first Wednesday, where God's presence moves, where lives are being changed, where revival breaks out. I mean, I, still, I walked around the trailer today, this one right back here, we do this big trailer, and I'm literally in awe because that is the trailer that we raised $10,000 for when we first started this church, and we didn't have any money. And I just was like, God, you're so good. But I wonder what he's done in our life. That's here, that's the... But, have we said, God, thank you for my spouse? That's the one you prayed for. I know you're mad at him, but that's the one you asked God for. You fasted for. You begged God. You said, I'd do anything. I'd commit my life to you, Lord. What about the kids that are driving you crazy that you prayed before they... Before they ever breathe a breath? God, I'm going to name them, and they're yours. Their name is this, and this means this. God, they're going to serve you. And now they drive you crazy because they're teenagers. That's what teenagers do, right? I don't know what happens to the sweet kids. <laughs> but it was the awe of the miracle of what you were, you were adding to my family. You started tithing. The blessings of God come in your life. And so, so you're like, man, God, look at what you're doing. And then now all of a sudden you're giving the miracle offering and you're ready to tuck tail and run because he didn't do what he's done for everybody else. You're walking in a storm and you're ready to throw the towel in. But you forgot about the years where he saved your house from going into foreclosure, saved your car from being repoed, saved your family in the middle of, of, a, of a depression and recession. We're ready to throw the towel in because now it's familiar, it's common, it's normal, it's okay. It's, it's church as usual. So that's my three steps to get you out of a storm. <laughs> it's funny. I never intended the message to be about us. I intended it to be about God. How many know you just got to preach his word? 
I think that's where you just got to go to the Bible and say, you speak to me, not me tell you. What's your word saying to us? What's your, and then you just have to say, okay, whew. So this, this is, let me tell you what I've done. God, where have I had misguided expectations? Where have I been offended? And where have I been familiar? Because I think sometimes we can pray the storm away and ask God to take it away. And God's like, man, I'm using that to do something deep in you. We gotta grow up too. You know, when you look at this story, and I'll close with this and we'll pray over you. Jesus sent them away across the lake because, and I told you this a couple of weeks ago, but their hearts were set that Jesus was coming to set an earthly kingdom. And so the masses here, you know, John the Baptist has just died. So Herod has, you know, beheaded him, and the church is in an uproar. The crowd is in an uproar. The brutality of a Roman empire that would execute a man who the masses went to see. They all believed he was a good prophet, so they thought he was a good man. So they're in revolt. They're frustrated. They're mad. There has been an injustice that's taken place. And so Jesus is doing these miracles. They're like, hey, the next thing is, Jesus, you need to be king. And he knew that the disciples were in such a place they would have joined in with the crowds. So the storm protected them. And what he did was he said, listen, I got to take you to a place where you mature, you grow, you develop. But here's the thing. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I know it's coming because I've already been there, but I also know I'm there to help you. So I just always look at it. Okay, God, I, I, it's not good. It's not easy. It hurts. Sometimes it doesn't even make sense. Look. Something tragic can happen. I can't always tell you that I have an answer. But I do know this. When I cross through eternity, there will be an answer. But right now, God, I just need you to grow me. Speak to me. The first time Jesus spoke to the storm, second time he spoke to the disciples. I just look at it as maturing. God, okay, mature me. Grow me up. Help me. 